only thing I need a cut of is this unbelievable Tom Sweeney double-breasted whistle. Just wondering if Dilly, Dillian just offered you something out of his... Yeah, we'll see. It'll be very nice. <laughs> bet it would, bet it would. Um, OK, now you also said in Cougar's interview that uh, they manipulated the bid. Now, I think everyone in boxing knows they would have done a deal with Tyson Fury. It's not illegal what they've done. I would have done the same thing. What you do is to get control of the fight, you agree a purse with the, the lion's share fighter and you, therefore you can overbid and what you're bidding, you're not actually paying. So that's what has happened in this case and it's happened with me before. I've done it before. It's not illegal. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a smart way to win a purse bid. But if you had done it, would you say you've manipulated it? Just a little bit of a negative term, isn't it? But that's you, Umar. You, you know, that's ultimately, no one else has said that other than you. Manipulated it is when you manipulate the numbers in your favour. Patrick Day, and, and he loved the sport of boxing. You know, we love the sport of boxing, but we must never take it or the fighters for granted. And like I said, last Thursday, you know, I'll never forget, you know, he came over to me before the press conference with Joe Higgins, and he just, he was so excited, you know, he was... He, he just, uh... You all right? Yeah, I just, I just remember talking to him and, you know, what he was saying. Sorry. Yeah, so, again, you know, it's, and this is, you know, I, I knew him for 30 seconds, so. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where this Conor Ben thing just won't go away, will it? As much as we want it to to, to disappear, it just won't. And I think in a weird sort of way we quite enjoy it and i've been i've been wrestling with this about why this is really important and i think if you ask 100 people they have 100 different views but my view on it is not that Conor ben is necessarily the problem not that doping in boxing is necessarily the problem in and of itself it's that we're setting a tone a societal tone a tone amongst all of us as civilians which is saying if I don't feel I'm good enough, I'm just going to take a tablet or an injection to help me through it. And in most situations, I don't mind that if it's medically supervised and you're getting your, your, your blood work done and you understand where you are physiologically, cool. Here's the problem. Like when you create a societal tone like this, most people are just doing this in their bathrooms. And I speak from what I know. I speak from what I've seen. My biggest concern is what's happening on the women's side of doping. Are there boxers doping? Yep. Are there female boxers doping? From what I've heard, yes. Would I go on record as saying who? I'm not that stupid. But yeah, I know women boxers that are doping. And it's all in different ways. Some is just growth hormone because they're scared of the effects of steroids and that's cool. Um, some of the smarter ones are looking for wider compliant ways to dope and they're also there, which is good. And you've got all of these things, but here's the problem. Outside of those who are intelligent, outside of those with the right support networks around them, there are a lot of women and men who are taking compounds without understanding what's going to happen to them 10 years from now. That's my worry. My worry is that it's setting that kind of tone where people think it's okay to do it because someone else has done it and Conor Ben's doing it, so it's fine. I wonder how many people have jumped on the clomiphene since Conor Ben failed this test and gone, let me have a go. Let me see what this clomiphene's about. It's that sort of tone that worries me because there are long-term health effects from taking some of these compounds. Um, you look at a lot of the male bodybuilders. <laughs> Most of these people, once they took their vaccine, a lot of them died. I'm not saying that it was a vaccine. What I am saying is when you lead an incredibly unhealthy life, which bodybuilding is an incredibly unhealthy life, you put yourself at risk from anything that may affect the weak. You know, we're seeing it now with a lot of female physique athletes, be they bodybuilders, powerlifters, crossfitters, whatever, having to dial down what they were taking before because they want to have children. And my attitude is this, look, if you've already had your children and you've lived out your dream and you say, you know what, I'm cool, take whatever you want. You know, same if you're never going to have children, take whatever you want. But what's happening is there's a lot of damage done to 
the mental health of women as a result of these compounds. Um, I'm hearing of women taking Trembolone to help them squat 250, 260 kilos. And it's playing havoc with their relationship because of the mood swings, because of the night sweats. So if you roll over into someone's sweaty patch, you know, all of these things that are, you know, the, the, hidden, the hidden consequences of doping, the body hair growth. So if your girlfriend is now hairier than you, and this does happen, so now she's got to spend a ton of money on laser hair removal, and the more you do that, the more aggressively it comes back. That combined with the compounds makes it problematic. So there are all of these things that happen in our society that are not great. You need only jump on a porn site to Google a female bodybuilder and just see what actually ends up happening. Especially when they get older, it's not great. And so we need to avoid setting a societal tone where this stuff is acceptable. That's why we have to hold a hard line on this Conor Ben thing. And it was interesting that Hearns come back to this because he says a lot of stuff. And maybe Conor Ben should advise him to say a lot less because it doesn't seem Hearn really understands how this game works. So here's Mr. Hearn, um, I think he's on Boxing Social here, talking about the Conor Ben situation. You know, yesterday I asked you about Conor Ben, mm. and you said I grilled you, right? Not, I mean, not often, but... not often. I get that to be honest. Mm. So that's a change according to most of the comments. Um, you said you wanted to explore a little bit more, and you're not happy with things being leaked to the media as mm. opposed to yourself and the Sims team and Conor Ben's legal team and management, etc. Finding out what have you sort of managed to Nothing confirm really, in the I last mean, 24 just, hours? At the end of the day, you know, I want to speak to the board because. This whole, yet? No, this whole process, they'll be there tomorrow night, this whole process is supposed to be confidential. I mean, so confidential. So first things first, this isn't a board process at the moment. This is a UCAD process. That's the first thing. The second thing is, if this is about confidentiality, as he claims, why was he so brazen admitting he was told about Amir Khan's failed test well ahead of everybody else, and he heard it from people at Sky? And so he was confident that people at Ben Shalom were aware of this. this is, these were his own words. So where was the confidentiality then? Where, where, where was his crusade for confidentiality then? If he knew. And he had nothing to do with it, by the way. So why would someone tell him? So if someone would tell him, can he be surprised that someone else would want to talk about Conor Ben to someone else? It's not, it's not a big leap of faith to make. As I said, I didn't know anything about it, nor did Tony Sims. Yeah. Here's the thing. When it comes to UCAD, they have no relationship with Eddie Hearn and they have no relationship with Tony Sims, therefore they don't have to tell them anything. They just have to tell Connor Ben. And then it's Connor's job to tell people. So if Eddie Hearn didn't know about this, the problem's not with UCAD, the problem is with Connor Ben because clearly he knew. You're asked for it to be confidential, right? So even if I knew about it, I couldn't tell you. But why am I... Yeah, but, you know, he was happy to bleat about the Amir Khan thing after it happened. You know, the, he... This is what happens with the children of privilege. They genuinely believe the rules don't apply to them, and they believe the rules shouldn't affect them. Getting calls from the media to tell me about it when it's confidential between the board, UCAD, and Conor Ben, and Conor Ben's team. We don't know about it, the media do. And I, don't, I really don't want to go on about it, but if you think that the way that it's been handled is fair, and the way that it's leaked to the media is fair, it's almost... Uh, but look, let's, let's go all the way back. So when he failed both tests, he didn't let the public know we believe he let the board know. And obviously, UCAD knew. Because right? the board have to notify UCAD. But they were very quick to say, this has nothing to do with you, nothing to see, move on. Right? The right things didn't happen in the beginning. It took a story leaking into the media for the right things to start to happen. So if that's your start point, if the skullduggery is your start point, you can't now come back and say, well, we want to play by the rules now because you didn't play by the rules in the beginning. You're meant to play by the rules in the beginning. Had he failed both tests and Eddie said, we've got to pull this fight, no matter what the board said, we've got to pull this fight just for, for the sake of it. We'll pull it, we'll go to the board, we'll get a hearing, 
Whatever they adjudicate, we'll build the fight based on that. If he had done that, we wouldn't be in this position now. But, like I said, the children of privilege. Like trial before trial. You know, people have found him guilty. And they've got the... People haven't found him guilty. What people have done is accept that he failed two tests for clomiphene. An A sample, a B sample, both times. And they understand the, the principle of strict liability. So what they've said is, by that principle, he is guilty. He has to give a compelling reason why that was in him. And he's yet to do that. And he refused to do that with the relevant authorities. These are facts. And they've got everything you want to make their decision. So let them make their decision. But I just feel it's so unfair for Conor Ben that it's different for him than it is for every other fighter. Um, it's different because the fight was about to happen. So if Eddie's telling us that people fail drug tests and fights happen, that's a normal thing. Now, has that happened on his watch? Unusual situations call for unusual actions, and that's what Conor Ben engineered himself. There's no getting around that. I've never seen this before in any other case. The Tyson Fury case, the Dillian White case, the... Um, Amir Khan case, all confidential. But this is leak after leak after leak to the media, and it looks like an agenda to me. So I'll be saying that. Well, what is that agenda apart from UCAD kind of doing their job, which is to look into all situations that may indicate doping until they are satisfied that there's no case to answer. When they're satisfied there's no case to answer, they'll notify the board, and the board will say business as usual to Robert Smith tomorrow night and he can say oh it's not come from us well, it's come from someone it's come from the board to someone or UCAD to someone and I don't think it's fair so anyway look they've got it's not fair because it's hurting Matchroom you know for a fact if this was a Queensbury fighter Eddie would be saying yeah I think this is the right thing you know the right things have happened look at how they behaved before are you surprised that it's happening this way he would have been sticking the knife in because that's what he does Unless it's on him, then he throws his toys out the pram like a child. The document, they'll go through the process and, and we'll go from there. Just quickly, actually, on the topic of UCAD and everything. Um, tomorrow night, I believe you're not using UCAD, is that correct? No, I don't believe so. We, we don't choose whether we use UCAD. The uh, board. Sorry, VADA testing for the fight. No, UCAD will test for the fight. Yeah, you're quite right. You threw me there. UCAD will be testing for yeah, this yeah, fight. Yeah. yeah, but it's not VADA. No. Am I right? No. Charlie Sims told me I can't remember the exact name of it. Um, what what is the drug, testing? Drug free sport. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. drug free sport. So I can only share what I remember about drug free sport and. It's not great because they deal with the NFL and they deal with the MLB. And if you ever see the hit rates on those, they are poor, even though we can see these guys are juiced to the gills and they don't seem to capture anybody. You know, these the drug free sports seem like the organization who would do anything they can to avoid catching people. And that's probably how they make their money by going. Eh. Yeah, yeah, we'll test people, but yeah, do we have to? Yeah, we'll let them know we're coming about all this sort of stuff. I'm not saying that's what they do. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. That's me being honest. It doesn't seem to be the most driven organization to catch cheats. It's another accredited testing system. Um, and the main reason for that, sometimes is cost. Sometimes we use Shada, sometimes we use Vada. We've used drug-free sport for years. Um, and they're just another testing agency that we use. Um. <laughs> so... You ask any boxing fan who catches more cheats in boxing. That's how he's fighter. And they can name them. Lucas Brown, Lewis Ortiz, Billy Joe got caught with the inhaler. Loads of people. They catch everyone. I'm sure they've caught guys like James Toney, um, Jarrell Millen. So they catch everybody. And so we trust Vada. We know if Vada say you popped, you popped. And I have a feeling that Hearn's trying to do two things. One, make sure that he's not embarrassed like this again. And two, let Vada know. You know, the revenue you're getting from us, you've compromised that. 
spoke to Charlie Sims quite in depth yesterday about the whole situation and sort of how it's been received and especially on the leakings that you've spoke about etc um, something he spoke about is the testing I've asked you about the standard of testing before um, are you on the same side that you're worried that there might be inconsistencies now with VADA and no look I can't I think that as far as testing companies go I think VADA do a good job but it doesn't mean they always do a good job just like anything but you've got to show an example when VADA haven't done a good job. I imagine VADA, with their strike rate, have done an incredible job relative to the other testing bodies. It's not comparable, in fact. You can't compare the two. The, the gap between USADA and VADA is vast. The gap between UCAD and VADA is vast. Why are VADA so much better? Why don't we address that? Because I think that's going to make for uncomfortable viewing and listening for, for a lot of people in sport. But the truth is... VADA must be doing something right. I don't know if it's secret, I don't know if it's public, but they're doing something right because they seem able to catch people. Promoter in the world. Doesn't mean every show's great. Sometimes you make mistakes, sometimes things go wrong. Um, and that's the same for, for those kind of for companies as well. There's a lot in the, the report that's concerning. Um, and that's been taken on board. That's why I was... Ah, well... We Not once have we heard what's concerning in the report. Now, they talked about a sample being tested nine different times. But it's the same sample, so what's the problem with that? If it's being tested nine different times. You know, it, there's nothing on the Conor Ben-Eddie Hearn side which seems to be robust science that challenges the fact that he got found with clomiphene in his system on two separate occasions stated in the rankings and that's why UCAB will make their decision we'll see but, but VADA you know they're, they're all Re being reinstated in the rankings is not proof to proceed it was not authorization to proceed I should say because VADA no not VADA the WBC no they don't have to license anybody and so they'll say yeah he's still in the rankings but at the moment he's suspended so what does that really mean means he can't fight and until he can fight his place in the rankings is in jeopardy but the WBC will say we don't have a problem and I said this in a previous episode they were very smart in how they kicked it over to UK and the board good testing companies and a lot of them use the same laboratories but things do go wrong during processes and I think you can't just accept things if you plead your innocence and you believe well that's how strict liability works Right. Once it's in you, you're guilty unless you have a compelling reason why not. Conor Ben doesn't have a compelling reason why not. His argument is his sample was contaminated in the lab. And then so we say, which sample? His argument has to be all four. And I have a feeling if you look at the chain of custody for Conor Ben's sample, the same person didn't touch all four. So that would mean someone would have to have known Conor Ben's alias because it's not his name on there, it's a reference number. They'd have to know the reference number. They'd have to know where that was stored in the lab. They'd have to go in there and they'd have to tamper with a tamper-proof sample, by the way. They'd have to do that in order to put clomiphene in that system. Not only that, but they'd have to put exactly the same amount within a certain tolerance in both to make sure that it was convincing. Like, the... The level of precision and accuracy and focus you'd need to, 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 to drive such a conspiracy to create this, the effort you would need, the thought that would have to go into this, and the money. Why, who would do that and why? You know, you've got to find it. So now they've got to find the person who's at fault here. And I don't see them doing that. And I, don't, I haven't seen any legal action against the testing lab. So it leads us to believe that eh, things aren't on the up and up as, as we have been led to believe. And that would be my concern. The fact that we keep talking about this lab contamination, there's no compelling case for, for lab contamination. And they can't be in a world-class lab. Like their margin for error, the number of things that can go wrong there is minuscule. So for someone to be able to take one athlete sample and mess up four of them is unheard of. It is almost impossible because of the systems, the checks and balances they have in these labs. Even your innocence, and that's the, obviously the process that Connor's going through. I know we don't much about don't know much about the Poello case, but obviously that was with Vada as well, also for clone thing. Um, is that 
suggest anything or really but when we spoke to the UFC it's not the first time this problem's arisen on that substance so I Sometimes I feel for Eddie, and I know I just disrupted this, but sometimes I feel for Eddie, and here's why I feel sorry for him. He's required to be an expert in a lot of things in order to do these interviews, and he's an expert in none of them, in fact. And so all he does with his own words is just hang himself, ultimately, because we'll come back to this in a year's time, and he'll deny he said half of these things. I think there's going to be a lot coming out about it. But, again, maybe it's something in a, in a six months' time, maybe it's something in two years' time, where people realise that Conor Ben's innocent. But we'll have to see how it unfolds. Here's the thing. You see, when people talk about the UFC, everyone knows that it was successful for doping. It's funny how a lot of those physiques change once they're brought in, even the lowest level of drug testing. Look at how many people are getting caught in the UFC for drug testing. Their biggest star, John Jones, got caught multiple times on doping violations. So Eddie using reference to the UFC, I think, is him being desperate. And... If Poello, Poello, whatever his name is, if he got caught with clomiphene, I, I can only throw one theory in there. And maybe it's that you, not you, Cad, but Vada, have found a way to play with the test. Maybe they're just tweaking the parameters. Maybe they're tweaking the nature of the test. I don't know what it is, but if they're catching people with clomiphene, that's going to be really interesting for this reason, this reason, above all else. If you can't take clomiphene, you can't take things that shut down your testosterone production. They will catch ACG, they will catch tamoxifen, Novaldex, whatever you want to call it. And if they've now got this clomiphene thing nailed, you're screwed. Now, I don't know if it's that Vanda are able to go further back in time and capture some of these trace elements that they weren't able to before. And so people are like, you can get away with it after four months. Don't know if that's the case. Um... I don't know if they've got better intelligence, but it seems that Vada just have a better sense of this. And this isn't unusual in anti-doping where they figure out a new test and they just don't publicize it. And then suddenly they start catching people. If you remember, like a lot of people about a decade ago were popping for oral turinable. And then they were being popped for trembolone. I think the kid Muhammad Ali got kicked off GB for that. And so this shows that this, this is a cat and mouse game. And maybe what Vard have done is made a big leap and said, if we can catch clomiphene and all the other things you use to restart your testosterone production, it's harder to take those compounds. If it's harder to take those compounds, it's harder to take the steroids in the first place. That might be what Vard have done. That's me being super optimistic. The realistic part of me says maybe they were just lucky and these guys were just loose. Oops. At what point does he go to the board with his 270-page dossier? We know that he's there's a lot of gone. ego involved. No, they've got it. What, now, through going to yeah, UCAD, it's with you, the board. Yeah, you, so the, the board, board can technically board, clear him to fight. The board have nothing to do with it. Not because we don't want them to have anything to do with it. They don't want anything to do with it. As Robert said... Well, let me come back to this point. I remember Piers Morgan saying, why don't you just give them the document? And he said, I don't want to. Why should I? Conor Ben was adamant he wasn't going to share the document. So once again, Hearn is trying to bend the truth and he's trying to twist reality. The board have been asking for this document since it was published. Like best part of four months they've been asking for it. So this idea that, you know, there was no obstruction to that's ridiculous. They've said to me, send the report to UCAD. UCAD are the people dealing with this issue, not the board. Yeah. The board will acknowledge UCAD's findings and results and honour that suspension, if you like. Do you know what I mean? So it's not the board. Now, Robert Smith doesn't go through this document. You can do. And they've got everything they need. Any so, here's what I'd say in closing. We've reached a really fascinating stage in this conflict because if you look at UCAD, here's what UCAD have to establish. They have to establish whether Conor Ben doped or not. They also have to establish why VAD were able to catch it and UCAD weren't. And what are the differences in the tests? And what can UCAD learn to become better? And the real question is, do UCAD want to be better? Because the more people you catch, the more you've got to spend on these cases. And they don't have a budget like that. As I said in the Amir Khan case, when you're, when you're bringing in firms like Bird and Bird to do your work, they're not cheap. So you don't want to be doing 10 of those cases a year. And that's what would happen if you were testing properly. So 
as fans, we've got to ask, are UCAD detuning the testing so they don't catch so many people? And so that means they stay within their cost structures. Don't know, just a theory. But they've got to be able to explain why VARDA were able to catch this and they weren't, because they had tests either side of the VARDA tests, and they weren't able to do so. Also looking at it from a British Boxing Board perspective, if they don't get a handle on doping, there's a risk that the government will get involved, because you can't have a lack of control over doping, where promoters seem to hold sway. You can't then have the number of in-ring deaths and injuries that the board have had over the last few years or so, decade or so. You can't have those things. You can't have guys having to retire because of these situations, brain conditions and so forth, without questions being put on the board and saying, what are you doing to prevent this doping? Because that may be a risk factor in all of this. So that also makes it interesting. If you're VADA, you just want to be able to make sure your reputation is the best in the business is, re is retained. You know, you don't want Eddie Hearn and Matchroom running a coach and horses through that. And then if you're Conor Ben, Eddie and Matchroom, you want that innocence. And you want to establish it so robustly that no one will mess with your guys again. And you, that's what they're doing here. And it's not working because what the board did and what UCAT did, which I thought was really smart, is wait. That's what they did, really. They waited. And they said, we're going to let their side just talk. They're going to reveal all their plans, all their tactics, their strategies. They're going to do all of this stuff. And in the shadows, we're just going to work to negate those and nullify those. So it's looking difficult for Conor Ben to get a license in the United States. It's looking hard for him to get a license in the Middle East. And all of these things are now exacerbated by the fact that he is suspended and being charged by UCAD. And that normally means that other countries will follow suit and respect that. So that's becoming incredibly hard for him. And that's well done on the board for, for clearly having a good strategy around how to put the pressure on. And now what this does is it brings Conor Ben to the process. A process he refused to acknowledge in his interview with Piers Morgan, but it's brought him to that process where we'll get answers. And if he does have a, a full hearing... We'll be able to read the hearing and we'll be able to understand the findings and we'll see what was the key findings of that 270-page report. That's all we want to see as fans. We want that transparency and then we can all move on. But until we get that transparency, it's hard for us to move on. But seeing, seeing as I've been on this Hearn interview, I might just jump around and find some of these topics that I find interesting and just <laughs> see how I react to them. Some of them I haven't heard yet. High level fight. It's a brilliant night of boxing. Uh, Eddie, Anthony Joshua has come out in the last 24 hours and said that on his side he feels like there's 95% there on the Deontay Wilder fight. Now you're off to Saudi Arabia next week, which you revealed in an interview uh, earlier on this week. Are you on the 95% front or is that a little bit optimistic? Yeah, I think that we, we know that because we know that we've done deals before in Saudi Arabia. We've known that Skills Challenge are serious players. They're serious about this fight. AJ has a great relationship, so do we. We know Deontay Wilder wants the fight. We know the money's there. So I don't, I don't, you know, outside of finalizing those details, I don't think there's a lot more to do. Oh, here we go. Here. <laughs> um, put your hand up if you've been here before. This always happens. And then what will happen at some point is Wilder will say something like, the split should be 50-50 on everything. And then Eddie Hearn will do an interview. Just, just mark this in the podcast. Mark this now. Clip it. Whatever you need to do, bookmark this point. When Wilder starts talking about he needs 50-50, Eddie Hearn is going to be out in the media again telling us Wilder's nobody and no one knows him, despite the fact that Deontay Wilder trends every day on social media. Trends every day. More so than Anthony Joshua. You'll still hear Eddie Hearn telling you that no one knows who Wilder is and Wilder doesn't matter. That's when it's going to go south. When Wilder demands 50%, which he will do because he deserves 50%, then we'll see how serious this fight is. But right now it's just, it's just talk, isn't it? Because deep down that's not the fight they want. They really don't want that fight. Um, Fury and Usyk are easier fights for Joshua in terms of his ego. Because if Wilder lands on Anthony Joshua, it's game over and he'll be memed to death. We will clip that. We will run that every day for the rest of our interest in boxing life. Do you know what I mean? 
that's what we will do. Um, it's going to take something big to secure the fight, and something big is what they have. And I'll be there next week, and we'll go through everything with, with Prince Khalid and Skills Challenge, and we're very excited to make this night happen. I think it's going to be... I, I have a feeling the money they think is there is not actually there. That, that's all I'll say on that. I just have a feeling it ain't going to be spectacular money and people might come back and go, we can make more money doing it in the UK or more money doing it in the US. Don't quote me on that though. An incredible night for boxing. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing if we can get it over the line. But we'll, we'll see what, what next week brings. What do you make of Tyson Fury being the only fighter involved out of the four that's come out and completely publicly denied the plans that Saudi Arabia are trying to make this happen? Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, I think that um, he's obviously was involved in some discussions about the Usyk fight that didn't materialise. I guess he's not involved in the conversations, but members of his team definitely are. I can't really... See, this is what happens, right? There's just all this talking... So, who's in charge? Who's running the show here? Because normally it's Eddie Hearn, right? We're like, okay, Eddie will tell us who's putting what together. But if Fury's saying he's not involved, I don't believe a word he says. He probably is. He probably just wants more control. So, if this is all happening, I can't see all of these egos being satisfied because they have conflicting interests. Comment or worry too much about Tyson Fury. My plan is just to lock in AJ's fight with Deontay Wilder if that's our part of the night and wait if that's our part of the night well that's either the fight or it's not this, this is what I don't understand so my understanding is if Joshua's not fighting Wilder he's not fighting anyone in Saudi so what's the plan B that's what I don't understand this is all kind of pie in the sky stuff at the moment it's up to Tyson Fury whether he wants to fight Usyk. I mean, there's not going to be a better opportunity. There's not going to be more money. So I, I don't see why he wouldn't take it. And hopefully we can make it happen. Fury, um, next two fights expected to be July 22nd or July 15th um, against either, not Kubrat Pulev, like the fake account of most of us to leave him, uh, believe in, but uh, Andy Ruiz or Gilles Zhang. Is it? I didn't, didn't know where the Zile Zhang bit came from. but It's just come out it, this okay. evening. Yeah, I mean, someone asked me, who do I think it would be? And I think it will be Andy Ruiz. I, I know no one's really told me that. Um, and to be fair, if it was Andy Ruiz, that kind of fit into Tyson Fury's mould. You know, pick someone he knows he can dominate. Pick someone he knows can't hurt him. And he'll just play with Andy Ruiz. And, you know... I've been saying for a while Andy Ruiz is not the heavyweight people have him to be. I don't know why he's ranked in the top five. He's not that good. This is a man that got put down by 40-year-old Chris Ariola. Not that impressive. He's not the most dedicated of trainers. He's not the most diligent. He's a guy that if you're not a good boxer, he can catch you out with his hand speed. But you're not going to do that against a guy that's six foot nine. You're just not. And so it's an easy fight for Fury. It's a low-risk fight with a big name. And he can go, look, this guy's going one-on-one -on -one with Joshua. He won't win a round against me. That's what you'll hear. <sighs> whatever. Like, whatever. But here's the thing. Those Fury saps will still, will still go. They'll still watch the fight. It doesn't matter who Tyson Fury fights. He's built such a cultish fan base. They will just show up. And I don't understand why. Man. They, they almost see him as their protector, but <sighs> whatever. I think Bob Arum said to me that they might look at that fight. Um, I don't know about Zile Zhang. I think that could be an option as well. I think uh, UFC are now going July 22nd, so I don't know if that's still the plan for that date. But um, July 15, another possible date for yeah, them. Okay. Um, but I think that our plans in terms of a July fight or early August will hinge on the conversations next week. Everybody else, it appears, in the tournament will fight. So therefore, we would like to fight as well, in all honesty. Um, and I think we will. But a lot depends on those conversations next week. Zhang, someone who's in there, he's been made the Ring Magazine's number four ranked heavyweight. I thought, uh, I was quite surprised that he was... That's insane. 
Wait a minute. Zhang is the number four ranked heavyweight. I'm just running off in my head. Fury Wilder Usyk. Then I think there's a credible case for Joshua at four. I still don't put Zhang at four because he lost to Hergovic. You're telling me I've got to put Hergovic up there as well. I don't want to. So I just, yeah, these rankings are a joke. That's all I can say. Straight in at four, maybe they look a little bit at a performance against Hergovic. I know you can't judge directly off that, hence why he didn't go into a higher position than Hergovic after Saudi. Where was Joe Joyce in the rankings? Six, seven. I think he's seven now, six or seven. So, you know, when you beat the guy who's fifth or sixth. Four's right. Nah, four's four's absolutely insane. Four's insane. Like these guys are in, as Roy Keane would say, cuckoo land. That is absolutely insane. You know, like like I said, Hergovic beat him for God's sake. You know, what what more can you say on the matter? Waiting on um, obviously he's mandatory for Alexander Usyk. Looks like he's going to fight for the interim title. Um, and that'll be. IBF don't really do interims, do they? They do when you're waiting for a. Uh, it's kind of rotation system on a mandatory so we'll have to see but he'll be fighting looks like uh, towards the middle end of June Javonta Tank Davis versus Ryan Garcia mm. tomorrow night very interesting what a great fight what a great fight and if you're an American subscriber it's very important to know that the pay-per-view price is $60 if you're a Dezone subscriber and of course, if you're a UK subscriber, congratulations, it's part of your subscription. See, on credit where credit's due, that, that's a good deal for British customers. Like, so if you're a British subscriber, you get to watch this for free. Um, others will stream it for free, so I guess you get to the same destination. $60 in the US, kind of par for the course, but I already know at this point he's going to hammer Espinosa because he just can't help himself. Time and other platforms actually 84.99, but only $60 on the zone. Um, anyway, what do I think of the fight? I think it's a tremendous fight. I don't like the 3 p.m. weigh-in, which is coming up in half an hour, which I'm hoping that they'd have sort of weighed in. Yeah, 3 p.m. I believe. I don't like the rehydration clause, which I think is 1 p.m. or something tomorrow. He's got a lot against him, doesn't he? And there's a one-way rematch clause, but so the, I, I want to say fair play to Ryan Garst. So, let's talk about this rehydration clause. The whole point of weight classes should be that people of roughly the same weight fight each other. Weight classes shouldn't be leveraged to exploit what I call unhealthy weight loss tactics and unhealthy rehydration tactics. So, from what I saw, Javante Tank Davis weighed in comfortably made the weight and then the secondary weigh-in so the day after was 144.1 pounds i have no idea what ryan garcia was i haven't checked but you get the impression that's what tank does right he comes in and he he takes his prep seriously and meticulously now here's the thing javante davis should really be a featherweight if you look at his size and dimensions but he can't make featherweight so he moved up to super feather then he couldn't make that. And then if you remember, he moved up to junior welterweight. 140 pounds. And he got up there. And then he was like, uh, a bit too big. Come down to lightweight. If Ryan Garcia is weighing in at 135 and ballooning up to 155 or 160. And Ryan, and you know, Tank will walk into the fight like Floyd does. Not many pounds above you know, what he weighs in it. Why? Why should you have that advantage? You know, you shouldn't. Like, we want to see a fight of equals. I'm, I'm in favor of the clause, not from a tank perspective, from a boxing perspective. I think, for example, if you weigh in at 175 pounds for a light heavyweight fight, you shouldn't come in heavier than 185. And you should be weighed three hours before the fight and you should be under 185 pounds. And you will see people suddenly start shifting weight classes and be more realistic about who and what they are. Because right now you've got people with those really aggressive water baths, water loading, all the sort of stuff that just fries your system in the long run. 
And then there's the aggressive use of intravenous drips. Um, this is normally hidden from people. But there's an, yeah, an aggressive use of intravenous drips to reflate somebody. Um, sometimes aggressive eating and hydration tactics too. So I don't think it's particularly safe, if I'm being honest with you. And I'm glad there's a rehydration clause because then it forces Ryan Garcia to be a real lightweight or say, I can't do this anymore. I'm moving up a weight class. And I don't think that's a bad thing either. Yeah, for taking the fight, really not against his will, but obviously with a lot against him. I think those factors will play a part in the fight, and I think he'll get stopped. Now, Tank would have stopped him anyway. Tank, you know, we're starting to bake in excuses for, for what's about to happen in that. Now, by the time this goes out, the fight wouldn't have happened, but you may have listened to this after the fight. I think Javante Davis will win. I think that's his natural weight. He's been more active. Momentum's a big thing in boxing. Like that, that ability to keep your eye in and to stay focused and to, to be comfortable going through those reps and that pressure. He's done it more consistently than Ryan. If you remember, Ryan took all that time off to correct his mental health, which, you know, if he needed to do that, kudos to him. But all of that has an effect because these are development years for him. But what we should say is credit to both men for doing this and credit to Loma and Haney for doing what they're doing because we don't get anything like this in the heavyweight division and we've struggled to do this in the welterweight division. But one of the things I do want to touch on was um, Hearn's view on those May 27th clashes. And him 100%. Um, May 27 is being discussed a lot at the minute. Apparently Ben Shalom's had conversations with George Warren or vice versa. I can't remember what way around it is. Uh, in fact, it might be yourself and yeah. George Warren. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Um, Conlon against Lopez is going at nine. And Wood Lara is going at ten. What about CBS and Cola? Hopefully, I mean, be a good idea to go at 11 or quarter to 11 or something and towards bedtime. Um, but it's up to them. Like, I, you know, I think um, Conlon's going early, which is very early. But it's a good time. I think we need to start. It's going nice early. as well. Yeah. We need to start going earlier. Sometimes we always we always plan for a 10 p.m. main event, but it doesn't always work out that way. And 11's too late, so we're going 10 p.m. Larwood. Here's where it's tricky. The Sky main event and the DAZN main event may both end in a knockout, right? So I'm less worried about that. I, I think if there's going to be an early knockout, it's going to be Wood Lara. So I don't mind Okoli and Ben Smith going off at the same time as Wood Lara, because I think that may finish before. And in the Cody Bill and Smith fight, I think you can just get to it whenever because the interesting bit will be when the fight ends. I don't think that fight will go the distance. Now that I'm done with her, it's only right that I sort of fly through just things I've seen in boxing in the last 24 hours. So, so Sky did the show in Poland and to be fair, made no sense. Genuinely made no sense. I, I think that's definitely a misadventure. This idea that you're going to take boxer to this country, that country, that country doesn't work for me. It's wholly illogical. It was nice to, to put people on there. To be honest, I just watched Jamie TKV and Alan Babbage. They were the only fights that I had an interest in. I saw the Steve Woodall fight for a bit, but he was fighting the guy that uh, Lyndon Arthur beat. And the rounds I saw, you wouldn't put either of them back on TV. And I don't like saying that because I don't like shooting people down, generally speaking, but... Phew, no, not a good look. So I don't think those two guys impressed. And, you know, when you get that Sky platform, you've got to impress. Someone who did impress was Jamie Shakiva. What, what an absolute scorching finish. Broke him down with one body shot and then just chopped him with the left hook. And the message's manager caught Courtney. And I just said, I love watching boxers focus on their points of difference. Jamie Shakiva is the best body puncher I've seen. Like when for my time going up in the amateurs, for a big guy, his ability to find the body and his ability, he has such he has really good dexterity with his left hand. So he can go he can go low, go high. He can double up going low, he can double up going high, and he does it all with speed. My worry is that he becomes one dimensional. Like when you're that sort of guy, if you're strong one hand with one hand, you tend to focus on it, but he needs to start beefing up that right hand as well and working on those punch mechanics, and actually just the actual speed of that punch. But if he gets that, 
don't sleep on him. Like, I'm surprised no one's talking about him against Fabio Wardley. I'd make that fight after, after this one. If, if Fabio Wardley beats Fraser Clark, in fact, whoever wins that fight, let them fight Jamie Shakiva because I think Jamie will win that. I don't think those guys like active high work rate guys. I, I, think, I think Jamie will drown a lot of people because his chin's robust as hell and he can keep going and he will break you down because those shots are heavy enough. So I thought he really, really impressed and I mean, he deserves a massive pat on the back for that. Um, then you've got Alan Babbage. Wow. <laughs> what the hell happened there? Alan... It was almost like, like Alan Babbage had done to him everything he had done to his opponents. I always worry when I see a guy like Alan Babbage start looking for the ropes and start trying to box his way. He looked confused. And I come back to this point over and over again. Trainers get in your ear and they tell you they can make you a good boxer, but you're a grown man and you're a mature man. You know your own mind. You should be smart enough to go, I'm always going to be Alan the Savage Babbage. And I've got to find a way to just be better at being that savage. Trying to get people to box. And you're going to see this with Dillian. Dillian's not going to be that sort of Buddy McGirt jab happy guy. Dillian's a guy that needs to throw bombs and throw them regularly. That's what makes him scary is how strong he is when he throws those shots. That's what you want from Dillian. Making these guys into good boxers, is, for me, is lazy coaching. And it's almost like you trying to impose your will on them. It doesn't make any sense. And I, and I remember there was a point where I said, actually, I think some of these American trainers would be good for British boxers. I'm starting to walk back from that. Because when you meet a man in Dubai, in a gym, and he's got an American accent, it should be a red flag. Why aren't you in America? Why aren't you making money in America? Why has no fighter from the States said, look, come and work with me? Don't know, but I know that if Babbage works with that guy again, then he gets what he deserves. I'd leave him and I'd say, do you know what? Let me go back to what I know. Because the old Alan Babbage would have put a dent in that guy pretty early on and probably won that fight. But to see him stopped that early, soul-destroying. Absolutely soul-destroying. Because he's, he's a guy that is just compelling viewing. But having seen that, that invincibility cloak disappears quick. Um, Martin Bacoli. Martin Bacoli is Martin Bacoli. I've said it year after year. If he can hook himself up and wire himself correctly, he's hard to beat because he's fast, he's strong, he's a good combination puncher. Seems to have a good in-ring IQ. Knows what to do and when. Punches really loose but sharp. Does all of these things. And to hear him like really, really call out Dillian White. And then to see them have their little set too. Now, I don't know to what extent it was manufactured. I can't say. And I don't know to what extent that fight's already done. But I just think Bacoli's a hard, nice work for everyone. Because you've got to have the engine to cope with his work rate. And then I think you can pick him off. I still think Hunter's a hard fight for him. But I think you could put Bacoli in with Gilles Zhang. You could put him in with Joe Joyce. You could put him in with Hergovic. And he, calls, he causes every one of them problems. Which lets you know that he ain't going to fight any of them. Just like he ain't going to fight Wilder. He ain't going to fight Usyk. He ain't going to fight Fury. Nah. He, he might turn into the, the heavier version of Lerone Richards. And on the subject of Lerone, like what a fall from grace. I remember, I don't know if anyone remembers, there was a, do you remember that, that BT Sport press conference once? And Billy Joe pointed, did he point to, I don't know if he pointed to Lerone, it might have been Lerone Richards he pointed to and said, this is the most talented guy on the whole roster and no one's even talking about him. And as it turns out, Lerone Richards is still the most talented guy on any roster and no one's talking about him. And it's a lesson. The sport's about entertainment. People talk about skills and stuff like that. No one cares about skills. I promise you. Nobody cares about skills. What they care about is getting this damn job done. In as entertaining a fashion as possible. Lerone Richards would have had a better career had he lost a couple of fights. Had he taken a few more risks, he'd have had a better career. Because I used to get fed up 
really fed up of people in boxing trying to sell me their own riches. And I'm like, my eyes don't deceive me. This isn't fun to watch. It just, it's not enjoyable. And I also remember how he did Umar Sadiq dirty when he refused to fight Umar Sadiq. And he let Dave Caller get in his ear. And they, they basically messed Umar Sadiq around. Because had they had their fight when they were supposed to, Umar wouldn't have had to go and fight Chudinov over there. So maybe it had a different outcome. So I can never forgive Lerone Richards for that. So when I see that he can't even get on a Mo Pryor show, I just say, do you know what? We all get what we deserve in life. So I wish him all the best in whatever he does in life. I don't think boxing is going to be it unless he's prepared to either be the B-side or he's prepared to take a few more risks. Because there's, there's no money in Lerone. And here's Lerone's problem. He's not entertaining enough for TV. And he doesn't shift enough tickets to do the small hall thing. Right? And that's a lesson for every boxer coming through. You've got to know what you are. You're either an entertaining TV fighter or you can sell tickets. He does neither. And so he ends up not being needed by anyone. And it's a real shame. I don't take any joy in that, by the way. And nor should anyone take any joy in that. But when you've seen it so many times before that people refuse to listen, you just got to let it happen. I'm just conscious of the time. Um, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, I'll do the Cordina card at some point. What I will say is, once again, Eddie Hearns delivered a top-tier main event, and you can't criticize that. He, he's delivered for his subscribers again. And maybe, maybe he's hitting a, a good vein of form. We shall see. But let's talk about that in the next episode, and I'll probably cover Tank and Ryan Garcia on that one. But on this note, let me just tap out and say thanks for listening, guys. As always, we're doing record numbers this week. Um, sound like home when I say that but yeah there's definitely an upward curve in some of them um, like the the Joyce Zhang episode did numbers that I hadn't expected um, I did an Anthony Joshua episode which is crazy so you know I love the support thank you um, wherever you're sharing it however you're sharing it it's working I appreciate that um, in terms of you know social media if you are on Twitter feel free to like the post when it comes up that announces the pod I just want to see what that does for reach if we can get above 50 likes. Does that then push us into like what I call the boxing mainstream Twitterverse? Because if it does, that's a massive step forward for us collectively. And on that note, let me tap out and say thanks for tuning in, guys, as always, and take care. Mm-hmm.